Offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet, dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. As always, this is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sync from our studios at Prashanti Nilayam. At the very outset, a very very happy New Year to all our listeners. This is the first episode in this New Year 2019, so it is gives me great joy to join you all today. I hope and wish that all of you have a wonderful year ahead, and through this year. we progress more and more closer to swami as swami had told one of the students who asked swami how do we know that we are progressing in this spiritual quest he said it's very simple how many people you love today are you able to love more people tomorrow nothing more is a better indicator of whether you're progressing in your love and i think i wouldn't be wrong in saying that how much we love swami today are we able to love him more dearly tomorrow there is nothing no better indicator of our spiritual progress than that so let's hope and pray that every moment only takes us closer and closer to swami every step that we take is a step which is firmly placed in the direction of our goal with that prayer dear listeners let's begin with this week's geeta series episode we are still in the second chapter very much in the second chapter i think somewhere in the midway in fact i wouldn't be wrong in saying that if, if we are exactly in the midway because today's episode uh, will be something like a flux point after this there's going to be a change in the discourse or what krishna is explaining to arjuna we'll come to that in a bit but before that maybe i'll start as usual with a short summary of what we went through last week we went through the verses number 26 and 27 last week in these particular verses you know krishna completely takes a different line of argument till this point till he came to these two verses you know he was saying that oh arjuna you me and all of these people who assembled to fight here none of them are the bodies they are all in reality the indweller they are only wearing this body and the indweller does not perish when the body perishes so arjuna don't worry you cannot kill any of them and when you cannot kill anyone and no one is getting killed it is pointless to lament over it because you are not doing anything nobody is suffering anything there is no doer there is no enjoyer we went through all of those verses but this was the argument krishna was giving till this point in time saying that the indweller cannot be affected by whatever you're going to do in the battlefield so don't lament about it but in this these particular verses 26 and 27 that we went through last week krishna takes a different line of argument where he says okay just for the sake of argument let us say that you are the body there is no indweller there is no soul you are the body till now he was saying that the soul is neither goes doesn't come it does not die it is not born it is not dead but he says let us say for argument sake that you are the body and you are born and dead all the time and you think that people are constantly coming into this world and then perishing at the moment of death even then arjuna you should not be worrying that is what he said in verse number 26 and what is the logic behind that simply why would we lament over something that keeps happening all the time when we know that this is the nature of the world we are dealing with why should we be surprised by it when we know that this is the certainty of the world right this is something which cannot be changed by our action which cannot be changed by our worrying which cannot be changed by we wishing otherwise this is the certainty this is how the world is so krishna says what is the point in worrying about something that happens all the time if we really look at it 
you know, both sorrow and elation that we feel in our life is something like a spike in our emotions, right? We go through life in a standard, a smooth wave and suddenly something nice happens or something very unpleasant happens. There is a spike in our emotion. That's why Swami would often say that both elation as well as depression, both of that is bad because you are clearly stating that there is something that is more dear to me than something else. So it is clearly a spike in emotion in that sense and where invariably it involves an element of surprise. So Krishna is saying, where is the element of surprise in death? Because everybody who is born, the only certainty is to die and everybody who dies, the only certainty is to be born again. So where is the element of surprise? Why do you need to be sad about that? And uh, we also discussed about what he means by to be born again is the certainty of anybody who dies because that seems a little more difficult to understand than the first part of the uh, argument which Krishna places. Right? How do you say that somebody who dies is also being born again? And we spoke about how just like how growth is a change in the material composition of this physical body, death also is nothing but a change in the material composition of this body and of course we call it decomposition right what was the minerals in the form of the food in the form of water in the form of all the other things that we intake becomes this human tissue when we ingest it through the process of eating and digesting and assimilation what was the five elements outside now become this human body and going by the argument krishna is placing let us say that you are the body which means the food that you eat is becoming you, right? The physical body which has grown over these many years is nothing but a process of something which is material and mineral becoming this human body. And when this body perishes, the same tissue disintegrates and the same mass and material become that mineral again. So it is nothing but being reborn in a different form, even if you look at it that way. So Krishna is saying that this is a change which is constantly happening and why should anybody be worried about it? So in essence, Krishna is saying, when you think you are the Atma that is eternal, there is no reason to worry. Even if you think that your nature is Anatma or it is not eternal, it is not Sashvatam, it is changing all the time and it is born and dying all the time, even then there is no reason to worry. So he is completely removing any possibility or any excuse we can have to be worried about. And this entire section of the Bhagavad Gita or one could even say the entire Bhagavad Gita itself is about how to handle your sorrow, right? Because that is the most important technique to learn if we have to meander through this worldly life that we all are living. And this particular chapter and this particular section of the Bhagavad Gita is very very important in that because it deals with it directly. The other chapters it goes into a little bit of detail into some other topics of spirituality but here is the crux where Krishna is directly attacking the emotion of sorrow and how to deal with that. As we go through the verses that we will be going through this week I think we will dwell more into that of how to deal with sorrow and how Krishna has spoken about it. So these were verses number 26 and 27 that we covered last week. We'll go to the verse number 28. As always, I'll give you a short summary of the meaning of that verse. And after that, we will dwell deep into the meaning. Avyakta Bhutani 
ವ್ಯಕ್ತಮಧ್ಯಾತ ಉಡಿಸೆಂಡೆಂಟ್ಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ಸ್ಟೆಂ
it was in the beginning it was avyakta in the middle it was vyakta and in the end again it becomes avyakta do we say that the wave was born and then it died no because it is very much part of the ocean in our mind we know that that is what is happening this is just a momentary rise of the same water it is nothing different from the ocean itself though for a brief period it has a different form it has a slightly different appearance from the entire ocean rest of the ocean you are looking at it but you know that it is still part of the ocean itself right the wave is only a name that we have given it that is why sami would often say even in his discourses that which exists only in the middle and does not exist in the beginning and does not exist in the end is as good as not existent at all this is something which sami would say quite often in his discourses i think it's a quotation from one of the upanishads that which is unmanifest in the beginning that which manifests for a brief while in between and then becomes unmanifest can well be considered as unmanifest itself it can be considered as an illusion because it has only an illusory limited temporary existence right and talking about the waves it's the sports meet season in a, a week's time we're going to have the sports meet of the uh, such so institutions and if you're a person who've been watching all of these programs quite regularly there's one feature which is standard about most of the items and there will be some class or some campus or the other or some school performing some kind of a wave formation right because that's so catchy to the eye and it's always part of some item or the other and apparently there was this once when sami was sitting and he had come for the practice session and the primary school children were doing this beautiful wave formation in a huge number so sami was seeing that and uh, that must have been probably one of the first few sports meets right sami would come for every practice session and they had just practiced that particular wave formation and they wanted to show it to sami and you know sami was sitting there and when they did this and sami like a child he said oh it's a wave beautiful wave and then uh, for a very brief moment Sami was very reflective in his appearance and Sami said waves 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 one day all of you will become one with me and this is the reality of each one of us right and that is why Vedanta always uses this analogy extensively to speak about the relationship of the jivatma and the uh, paramatma it's only like the wave which is formed on the ocean it is actually never different from the ocean for a very brief time it appears like it has its own name and form and its individual existence but it never has one and that's why it says that it was not manifest it manifests and it again goes to the unmanifest so it is as good as not being there at all and uh, in fact uh, talking about waves and ocean there's another very profound uh, interaction that happened between swami and one of the devotees and pretty much similar to what arjuna is facing the question of death and suffering and pain there was this devotee who was sitting with swami and he said swami we are reading the news every day we watch the news so many calamities happening all over the world you know earthquakes and storms and cyclones and apart from that there are wars and all of these things people are dying in so many hundreds and thousands you know and when we know about this it uh, gives us so much pain so he looked at swami and said swami you are omniscient and you must be knowing all of this i don't know whether he said it out like that but he was wondering whether swami will be in so much more pain because he knows all of these things and swami's answer was very clear he said see people come to this world they finish their karma and they go back what is that to worry about the process of birth and death it is the most natural process 
And Swami said it, it is like sitting in the ocean, in front of the ocean and seeing the waves lashing at the shore and then going back, right? Will we start crying for every wave which goes back into the ocean and becomes one with the ocean and again comes and forms another wave? It's absurd and it's meaningless, right? So same is the question that Krishna is asking here. This is typically what he is saying, that it was not there in the beginning. It has a brief existence in the middle and then it goes back to not being there. If you're thinking that you are the body, right? So this is an extension of those two verses that we covered last week and Krishna explained to Arjuna that let us say that you consider that you are this body which comes and goes. So that's what he's saying, that that which comes and goes, tatraka parivedana, what is there to worry about that which comes and goes? So that's the meaning of this particular verse, number 28. We'll go to number 29, as always. It's in the voice of Brother Sham, an alumnus of our university. And he's very beautifully rendered these verses for us, ever grateful to him. We'll listen to the verse and then we'll discuss about it. Someone visualizes it as a wonder. And similarly, indeed, someone else talks of it as a wonder. And someone else hears of it as a wonder. And someone else, indeed, does not realize it even after hearing about it. That's the meaning of verse number 29. After repeatedly telling Arjuna not to grieve and saying that it is foolish and it is a sign of ignorance to think that the body is the self, then saying even if you think that you are the body, grieving is a very silly act to do, Krishna now comes back to the nature of the self. And finally, in this verse, Arjuna gets a little bit of empathy from Krishna. He says, Arjuna, I understand it is not easy to understand the nature of the self. And everyone goes through this confusion, everyone has this confusion and that is why they all grieve, right? So finally Krishna is saying that though I am telling you all of this and how can you grieve and how can you not know that this is the nature of the self, he says that I do understand it is not easy to comprehend this. In fact, Talking about grief itself, grief and sorrow, that itself is a sign of delusion from whatever we have heard from Krishna. I am not telling this from experience or from wisdom. From what we have heard from Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita so far, we can say that grief is nothing but a sign of delusion, really speaking. And an indisputable sign of a person who is wise or who has attained that wisdom is the nature of having absolutely no grief at all. So every person who has the slightest of grief is nothing but deluded. So which includes you and me and all of us, right? Anybody who can go into a little bit of grief, a little bit of sorrow, a little bit of worry, we all are deluded to some level or the other, right? So grief and sorrow, I think I'd made a mention of this even some time back. Nothing but a better indicator of the fact that we're deluded. That is what grief is. That's why Krishna hints to Arjuna, it's okay, no one really understands the glory of its true nature, the self that I'm describing to you. That's what he says. He says, Kaschit, some people, Ascharyavat Pashyatiyenam. Ascharyam means wonder. So he says, Ascharyavat Pashyatiyenam. 
some people perceive this self with wonder anyah samadas ascharyavat vadati tathaivacha speak of it as a wonder anyah samadas ascharyavat shrunoti yenam hear of it as a wonder kaschit some people shrutva api yenam vedana cha eva even after hearing about it do not understand it or do not comprehend it whatever krishna has been telling so far about the self now krishna himself is declaring how wondrous it is some people have witnessed it that's what he is saying that ascharyavat pasyati enam some people have witnessed the self and that's why sometime back krishna used the term tatva darshinah tatva is the essential truth we had gone into the meaning of that word tatva how beautiful a term that word tatva is and he says tatva darshinah those who have seen the truth right then that's why krishna used that term even they are taken in by wonder by the self even those who have witnessed it and who have really had a a personal experience with it are filled with wonder as to the self some others who have not actually seen it but are just explaining it speak in wonder for example like me i have definitely not experienced it i do not have any spiritual experience of the self at least not to my knowledge in this birth but when i am speaking of it when i am reading what krishna is saying when i am explaining what the vedanta says about the self i am speaking of it with such wonder and that's what krishna is saying some people speak of it with such wonder and then when we listen to it let's say from great wise people from gnanis or from swami like how arjuna is having the opportunity to listen from krishna when we listen about the nature of the self it fills us with wonder we listen with mouths open wide right oh my god this is what it is you know i was saying just the last week when you consider the age of the universe even as we can understand it even as we have the tool of science to understand that 13.7 billion years since the big bang it's a really really long way back right you're talking about billions of years and 100 years seems a long time in in our lifetime right somebody who has lived for 115 years we would probably celebrate that person as the oldest person in, on earth right so 100 years 110 years is such a long time from our point of reference and when you're talking about 13.7 billion years it's a long long time right and when you say that you are not this single body but you are eternal you are not only 13.7 billion years old but you're older than even that you're older than even the age of the universe it fills you with wonder oh my god that's what i am and i'm fooling myself to think that i am this small person i am this prem sitting here or i am so and so sitting and listening to this particular show and it fills us with wonder oh my god that is what i am or if you talk about the vastness of the universe if you go and read up about how vast the universe is i recall reading in a book very interestingly how all our science textbooks have been lying to us in the sense that the solar system which is drawn in our science textbooks right from our high school is anything but to scale if we were to draw the solar system to scale if you're going to put the sun as the size of a let's say a small circle whatever it is if that is the size of the sun then the distance between the sun and the earth is so large and they were saying that if you have to draw a solar system to scale by drawing the sun to the size of a the earlier we used to have the 25 paise or 10 paise coin if you were to draw the sun of that size your 
map of the solar system will probably be a few 25 to 30 feet or something like that, right? That's how vast the universe is. When we think that this is the earth we are living in, the universe or the galaxy we are living in is so vast and the solar system we are living in is so vast and the galaxy has a few million such solar systems and this is but one galaxy in the universe. If you think of it, the space is so massive. And then Krishna is looking at Arjuna and saying that, do you realize that you are Sarvagataha? You are there covering this entire space. That fills you with so much wonder. Oh my God, that is what I am. That is what you are. That is what each one of us is. That is our nature, right? We are so flabbergasted when it is told to us and when this picture is given to us, with a reference of what we have been reading in science or what we have been reading in, in astronomy, it fills us with so much awe as to the nature of the self. And finally, Krishna is saying, Oh Arjuna, you are that. You are that self. Everybody here is that self. I am that self. You are that self. And we are eternal and we are omnipresent. We are Sarvagata. We are Sashvata. And we are Nitya. Right? It really fills us with so much awe and wonder and we are so thrilled when we hear it. But finally, Krishna says, even after listening to it, with all this wonder and awe, people do not understand it. Well, isn't that so true? When we listen to it, we are in awe. When we all discuss it with each other, we are in so much awe. But do we really understand it? Because if we really understand it, we will not be having any sort of grief at all. We will not have any reason to grieve at all, right? The very fact that we every now and then slip into sorrow and grief all of us, not pointing a finger at anybody, all of us get into this a little bit of moroseness and grief that is a sign that we have heard it with wonder, we have discussed it with wonder, we have explained it with wonder, but we have not understood it. Right? There's this beautiful quote of Swami I always love, which goes, you go through the scriptures, but you don't allow the scriptures to go through you. What a beautiful way of putting it. We all go through the scriptures. We are now going through the Gita. But the question is, have we allowed the Bhagavad Gita to go through us? Right? Because if we have done that, then we would have really understood it. And if we would have understood it, there would have been no reason for Paridevana or to any form of sorrow in that sense. So when I read about it, I am filled with wonder. When I speak to all, I am filled with wonder. And I am hoping at least, you know, even as I am explaining all of this, some of you at least are filled with a little bit of wonder the same wonder I am filled with when I am trying to explain it to you. But all this wonder and all this excitement does not mean that we have understood it. Understanding something or making a knowledge a part of our understanding is a completely different process. In fact, uh, Swami would say, these are three words which will come later in the Bhagavad Gita itself. Swami would say that knowledge itself is a three-step process. He would say, Nyatum, Drashtum and Praveshtum. What I mentioned about reading and listening and discussing, all of that is only the first step of nyatum, of coming to know, of being aware of or being informed of, right? Then comes the second step of drashtum, which literally means to see, seeing. Drashtum means to see. So Swami would say that this is the phase of you experimenting with what you have heard or trying to practice it consciously in your life. Right? You've been informed about a truth of a reality and you try to practice it in day-to-day -day life. I am this. You keep reminding yourself of that or when you face a problem, you try to remind yourself of that. Right? 
And the final step, Swami says, is what is referred to as Praveshtum, which literally means to enter, right? And that is when we can truly claim that we have understood it. Praveshtum is a step where we are not going through the scriptures, the scriptures have gone through us. We are not going through the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavad Gita has gone through us, right? That is the Praveshtum. Till then, we will get inspired when we read or hear or when we discuss. We will be filled with wonder and awe. But then we will go back to living lives the same way we have all lived all together, right? And that's what we do most of the time. That's what happens to all of us. We get inspired after a discourse when someone narrates an incredible experience where Swami saved some devotee or something like that. Yeah, filled with faith and confidence. Oh my God, this is my Swami and He's going to take care of me. I don't have anything to worry. The next day, something happens to our health, something happens to our financial situation. We start worrying, right? Where does that faith go? But that is what it is. We have not gone through that three-step process of Nyatum, Drashtum and Praveshtum. We have to practice. We have to make that a part of us. We'll come to that you know, after the next shloka because this is a very, very important thing that this whole section of Gita is trying to speak about that aspect of Drashtum even more than Praveshtum. It's talking about the Drashtum part. We'll discuss that a little more in detail after we've done with the next shloka. So people listen and speak about the self with wonder, but even though they are awestruck, they don't understand it. That's what Krishna says. But the Atma or the self is not meant to be understood, isn't it? Because that is what Krishna said just some time back. We are telling that people don't understand it. We are telling that people think that they have understood it, but they go back to living lives which are ignorant. But the fact is, the nature of the self cannot be understood. Krishna just described this in verse number 25. Krishna described it as achintyaha ayam, avikaryaha ayam. It is incomprehensible and it is changeless, right? And because it is changeless, it is incomprehensible. We had spoken about that also. So by nature, it is being defined as achintyaha. It cannot be comprehended by the mind. The Vedanta says the mind is able to think because it is inspired and invigorated by the self. It is able to function because of the sentience that the self provides it. And we had spoken about how Swami says, how can you lift the rock you're standing upon? So how can the mind understand the self, which is the very basis of itself, right? But Krishna is not talking about that kind of understanding. Right? If you have a complex theorem or if you have a complex calculus problem, there are some people who will understand it, right? I might not be able to understand it because I'm very weak in mathematics, but there must be somebody who for whom that makes so much sense, right? So that is a difference in probably intellectual capacity, right? We are not talking about that. If you talk about intellectual capacity, the mind does not have the capacity to understand the self. But the understanding which Krishna speaks about is completely different. But nevertheless, if it cannot be understood, why is Krishna going on trying to explain this to Arjuna? Even though it cannot be comprehended by the mind, there is a reason why it is good to listen to this explanation again and again. But we'll come to that after we go through the next shloka. For now, we'll listen to the next shloka, which is shloka number 30. Dehi Nityam Avadhyoyam Dehe Sarvasya Bharata Tasmat Sarvani Bhutani 
O Bharata, this embodied self existing in everyone's body can never be killed. Therefore, you ought not to grieve for all these beings. So Krishna summarizes his whole discourse by saying that the true self is never going to be killed. Not only Bhishma Dronai and the others that you are fond of Arjuna, even the people who have troubled you like Duryodhana and all the others, even they are not going to be killed by what you are going to do because all of them are beyond the body in the true sense. He says, Sarvasya Dehe, in all these bodies, I am Dehi. Is this Dehi or the indweller Nityam Avadhyaha, which is eternal and which cannot be killed? Tasmat, therefore, Na Tvam Shochitum Arhasi, you ought not to grieve. Sarvani Bhutani, for all these beings, not only for your uncle and grandfather and teacher and all of these people you are fond of, you do not have to grieve for anyone because nobody is going to be killed because each one of them are nothing but the Dehi which is adorned this Deha. So in this way, Krishna has summarized this entire part of the second chapter. So though he took a little detour of saying that, okay, let us consider that you are the body and he gave an argument for that in saying that you don't have to worry even then. Now he goes back to the original crux of the entire discourse which he has given which is that Sarvasya Dehe, I am Dehi. In all these bodies, the Dehi is the indweller and that indweller is Nityam Avadhyaha, which is eternal and imperishable. Therefore, Natvam Shochitam Arhasi. There is nothing to be worried about. So as Krishna has summarized it at this point, probably we will also go back a little and we will summarize this entire section of the second chapter. As I'd mentioned when we started this portion of the second chapter, one thing that Swami had said, and this is from Swami's Gita Vahini, Arjuna is under the influence of two types of mohas or delusions, right? And we all are under these two types of delusions. Swami says one is Samanya Moham, and the other is Asadharana Moham. Samanya Moham is ordinary or more precisely regular delusion, right? It's a regular size. Everybody is using it or everybody is having it. Samanya Moham. Samanya means mundane, right? Which means there's nothing extraordinary about somebody having this delusion, if you could say that. So one is Samanya Moham and the other is Asadharana Moham, which means it is not natural for anybody to have this delusion. If somebody is having this delusion, he stands out of the crowd or she stands out of the crowd and you say that you're deluded, you're confused, right? So Swami says that Arjuna is under two types of delusions, which is Samanya and Asadharana. And Krishna, in this particular part of the Bhagavad Gita, the second chapter, is going to speak about or going to remove both of these mohas, right? Swami says that this whole section starts with the 11th shloka, right? And this 11th shloka, in fact, is referred to as the Bija shloka or the Siege shloka. The entire knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita starts with this shloka. This is the Siege shloka, which is the 11th shloka, right? So Swami says that uh, in the first line, Krishna uses two phrases, and each one of these phrases pertain to one type of moha. Samanya and Asadharana of Krishna. What are those? He says, Ashochyan Anvashochastvam. You worry for 
what you must not worry ashochyan anvashochastvam and swami says that this particular phrase pertains to samanya moham what is the ordinary regular moham that we all are under as swami has explained it thinking that i am this body thinking that you are this body thinking that each one of us is nothing but the body this is the samanya moham right though krishna has been telling arjuna that how can you think that you are the body how can you think that when these people discard their body that they die but this is the samanya moham if not for this moham you and i will not be sitting here we would have been realized we would have been waves that have merged back into the ocean right so this is the samanya moham this is the very basis of human birth or this idea of the vyakti tatva or the feeling that i am an individual entity right so he says that this particular phrase of the 11th verse ashochyan anvashochastvam is a sign of samanya moham and swami says in the gita vahini to confuse the body with oneself and pine for the body as if something has happened to you is ordinary delusion so all forms of worry are born out of this delusion or this confusion that i am the body and that is why in this entire section it is replete with the word worry shokam paridevanam right it keeps coming again and again because it is a sign that krishna is removing the samanya moham of arjuna and that is why he is attacking arjuna's worry the second phrase that swami speaks about in the 11th shloka is pragnya vadanscha bhashase pragnya vadhamscha bhashase the meaning is you talk like a wise man and the outside you might wonder how is this related to the asadharana moham right or the extraordinary form of delusion what was arjuna lamenting till this point he was just saying till this point means till the 11th verse i am not sure if i have to fight or i have to go and start living in the forest and i should start begging right that was what arjuna was saying oh god if i do this and you know what will happen to the dharma and the society the children will be born in families which are broken and we went through all of that that uh, arjuna vishada yoga all of his lamentations we heard so all the while he was talking about the confusion of should i fight or should i not fight right so he confused on what is his duty he expressed his confusion as to he was not sure what he was supposed to do and swami says in the gita vahini to discard one's own dharma or duty in this case kshatriya dharma or that of a warrior as not dharma is an out of the ordinary delusion or asadharana moham and the verses from verse number 31 are actually going to be dealing with this extraordinary form of delusion of how do you ascertain which is your dharma or when you have ascertained what's your dharma how do you go about it right so the second part of the discussion in the second chapter starting from 31 is going to deal with this the part that we have just completed that is from shlokas 12 to 30 is on removing this idea that we are the body and this whole approach of explanation was centered on one objective how to get rid of worry and arjuna towards the end of his arguments asks two things you know that is what has led to this entire discourse that krishna is giving at least in this particular chapter right he says karpanya dosha upahata swabhavah prichami tvam dharma sammuda chetaha overcome by karpanya dosha right we had spoken at length about what is karpanya dosha it is the compassion that is born with 
a narrow-minded approach to life that these people belong to me and and that kind of distorts your idea of compassion and uh, dharma right so he says karpanya dosha upahata swabhava so this feeling that these people belong to me and i have to be compassionate towards them that is distorting my vision right and that distortion is making me feel confused about what my duty is and he goes on to tell i ask you krishna which is definitely better for me right you tell me prachami tvam you tell me what is the right thing for me to do right this was the seventh verse in the second chapter and that is why krishna will explain about what arjuna's duty is as i said from verse number 31 which we will be taking up later from that point krishna is going to answer this particular question of arjuna that what is my duty but in the next verse arjuna makes a very very important point i had mentioned it even when we were going through it he says nahi prapashyami mama apanudyat yat shokam i do not see that it would remove the sorrow it would remove the sorrow what would remove the sorrow he says in the previous verse he asked krishna what is it that i have to do right that's what i i just mentioned but he is hinting here that krishna you can tell me what i am supposed to do and because i have a lot of respect and reverence for you i will definitely follow what you are asking me to do even now if you tell me go and fight i am not going to ask you any questions i'll go and fight but after i do that i am going to be filled with grief right that is what arjuna has come to understand he has weighed the pros and cons what will happen if i win the battle what will happen if i lose the battle and he is seeing all of those options and he is saying at the end of it i am going to be sad right whether i am fighting or not fighting if i win or if i lose i am going to be sad so he is telling krishna that krishna you tell me what to do but after you tell me what to do i will do it but i don't know what i'm going to do about the grief and sorrow that is going to come after that so you tell me how to deal with that sorrow too so why is this important to us as readers or listeners of this particular chapter the verses from number 12 to 30 are an answer to this particular question of arjuna that after doing what is our duty there is no guarantee that we will always be happy sometimes doing what is right and what is your dharma and what is the right thing to do what swami wants us to do might lead us to personal grief why so simply because sorrow and happiness is a part of life there is no way we are going to be able to choose one experience over the other right so it is going to happen even when you're doing the right thing all your life that is probably the biggest problem we'll not go into that we are constantly trying to do things which will keep us happy and keep us away from pain right but the whole approach of the bhagavad gita is don't choose what to do based on what is happiness and what is sorrow choose your actions based on what you are supposed to do and whether sorrow comes or happiness comes find ways of dealing with it right so how to deal with that grief that is what the answer krishna has given all through this particular chapter the best way to get rid of that grief is through the knowledge of the self knowledge of what is true and knowledge of what is untrue knowledge of what is eternal and what is ephemeral smaranitya anityatam constantly thinking of what is eternal and what is ephemeral right through that constant contemplation we can deal with this grief and that is what krishna has been saying in all of these verses that is why on one hand he is explaining about the nature of the self on the other hand the constant refrain is na tvam shochitum marhasi this does not deserve your grief 
or you ought not to grieve Krishna. Krishna repeats this. I counted it six times in the past twenty shlokas. He keeps saying this again and again, saying that you should not grieve, or this does not deserve your grief, or you ought not to grieve. So though Krishna calls the self as achintyam, incomprehensible by nature, by nature it is incomprehensible. By nature the mind cannot understand it. By nature you and I cannot understand it. And he himself has acknowledged it by saying that people will listen to it with wonder, discuss about it with wonder. But then after that they'll forget about it and go back to their life, right? But still he explains it. He says, "O Arjuna, don't worry about it, right?" And this is what is the important tip to all of us. What is it to understand truth? Are we trying to understand the nature of the self first of all as we are going through this process, right? Because if going through this particular portion of the second chapter is meant to make us understand, I think we have not understood it. Why do I say that? when you understand something it means that that knowledge has become a part of my spontaneous thinking it has become a part of my perspective and paradigm let me try and give you an example it is like you know when we learn to cycle right i'm sure most of us have gone through that process of trying to learn how to cycle when we first start we will be told that you know we will be given some instructions hold the handlebar firmly and hold it straight and then you know ensure that you balance your weight in such a manner don't tilt it to one side and don't stop pedaling keep on pedaling and keep holding the bar firmly and keep the front wheel straight right we are given all of these instructions and even after you master the art of riding a bicycle you actually have to keep all of these instructions in mind but we don't keep all of this in mind right same is the case with atmavidya or going back to the cycle riding see i can probably give it to you on paper saying that you know this is the formula of weight distribution for a person to be able to ride a cycle i might tell you that you know this is the angular momentum and this is what the balancing should be and all of that is given to you in the form of formulas and i can give you a paper in uh, a theory right but when i give it to you like that it doesn't mean that i know to ride a bicycle isn't it there is no guarantee that even though i can write all of these in the form of mathematical formulas that i know how to ride a cycle and it does not mean that anybody who knows to ride a cycle should be knowing all of these formulas that same is the case with the knowledge of the self or atmavidya we have been discussing this for the past few weeks all of this is like writing equations on how to ride a cycle hopefully one day in not very far in the future we will really learn the art of cycling right and after that we will never unlearn it we will never be able to forget it but till then what to do when you're talking about the self of the atma that's what it is right when we master the art of cycling you could wake up the person in the middle of the night and give him a cycle or give her a cycle and they'll be able to ride it right because it becomes part of you this balancing this weight distribution all of that has become internalized in the body itself similarly one day this understanding will become a part of us one day we will clearly see what is atma and what is anatma what is real and what is unreal right but till then still this discussion of atma is very very important right i might have quoted this experience sometime before but it's very very profound and i would like to repeat that again this is something that swami had explained to a particular devotee and uh, devotee by name rani subramanyam ranima i think if, if you would like to go back and read all the articles we have a transcript of the uh, conversation we had with her 
it's there on the website one of the most popular series is on the website in that you know she speaks about one particular interaction that she had with Swami a very profound one where uh, Swami calls her for an interview all alone which is itself very surprising very rarely Swami would give them the, the opportunity of calling them individually so on that particular day Swami asked her Ranima do you have domestic problems do you face problems in your family life and she said Swami of course who doesn't face domestic problems and then Swami asked her how do you deal with those problems so she said Swami you should tell me I've come here and I've come to learn that from you you should tell how to deal with those problems then Swami went on to give this particular explanation he says see when you are dreaming when you're having a bad dream when do you realize that it is a dream when does it occur to you that it's a dream that you're having she said Swami when I wake up right when I wake up from the dream I realize that I've been dreaming and when you wake up do you feel the same fear and worry and pain that you felt in the dream Swami asked her she said no Swami when I wake up I realize that it's a dream so everything just vanishes in a moment right so Swami went on to say see all this worry and sorrow and pain that you are facing now is only in this dream this entire life is nothing but the dream of the real self that you are and all of the sorrow is happening in this dream one day when you wake up from this dream you'll realize that all of that was only a dream and was not worth bothering about but right now you're still in the dream and when you're in the dream what you have to do is nothing but keep telling yourself all this is only a dream i need not worry about it all this is only a dream right all this is only anithyam or ephemeral till you wake up you have to keep reminding yourself probably i'll just read out that particular portion where she explained swami says you see you are all only playing a role role is like jiva the soul i am so and so that is the ego the false identification that is not the real you you have to tell yourself i am playing a role but my real nature is the atma i am above all this swami constantly you must meditate on that thought otherwise you will go down with your problems you will suffer you will be anxious you will be worried but you have to help yourself like an antidote and keep saying this is all a dream swami this is all a dream if in spite of saying that constantly to yourself you don't get the awareness then you pray to me swami please give me that awareness i am always ready to give you whatever you ask but you have to ask for it i will not give it to you by myself right this is the beautiful explanation that swami gives her i would always say this you know when swami's beautiful quotation is that life is a dream realize it right technically speaking it should be life is a dream wake up from it right but that waking up is not probably in our control or it's not that this ego willing that i should wake up will not wake me up from this dream that waking up will happen eventually and that waking up is what is true understanding right is that waking up is that art of mastering that cycling when we wake up that will become a part of our thinking that this is real and this is unreal and we will not have any confusion at all but till we wake up what do you do when you are in the dream swami says life is a dream realize it understand and realize that this is a dream and when you constantly keep telling yourself that and when you constantly keep telling yourself that the pain is part of the dream the sorrow is part of the dream the worry is part of the dream success is part of the dream fame and name and 
ill fame and everything is only part of the dream swami says you keep reminding yourself and how very compassionate of swami saying that even after this you are not able to feel that thing that awareness is not coming swami says you pray to me i will give it to you if that is what you seek if that is what you earnestly yearn for i will give it to you right and that is what krishna has been teaching arjuna in all of these he says arjuna asked how to deal with sorrow right that's what he asked in verse number 8 and krishna had said in the initial part of that discourse he says titikshasva arjuna he says you know sorrow will come you have to deal with it you have to put up with it you have to forbear and how does one go about forbearing the sorrow and the pleasure that comes by our way by constantly reminding ourselves of the fact of what is real and what is unreal right and exactly how krishna explained that when we are listening to the bhagavad gita or probably when you're listening to the show or when i'm doing the show thinking oh my god this is what i am this is my reality and this is nityam and that is anityam and all of that but the next moment we go back to the world we completely forget all of this we get involved with the world we get involved with our competition and comparison and our because that is the nature of the world right that is the nature of our everyday life so when we get into that that is why it is so very important to every now and then take time out and keep reiterating this to ourselves and that's why i keep calling this recalibrating our mind and that can be done only in this downtime which we can take every now and then and keep repeating this to ourselves and that is why krishna has repeated it so many times in these particular 20 verses the same things were repeated again and again it is not to bore us not to make us feel like oh i've heard this so many times no if you've heard it 100 times hear it 100 times more if you've heard it 1000 times hear it 1000 times more because this is till the understanding becomes a part of me we can still use the truth and the usage of the truth is in this manner constantly keep reiterating this to the mind and that is why swami would often say when I mean, this is one of probably a summary of what swami expects each one of us to the life that swami expects each one of us to live if you ask how a spiritual life has to be led i think this is probably the perfect summary the verse which we have heard so many times swami repeat in his discourses tyaja durjana samsargam bhaja sadhu samagamam kuru punya mahoratram smaranitya anityatam tyaja durjana samsargam give up bad company wherever you can right whenever there is that opportunity for you to move away from bad company if there are people who are constantly thinking about worldly success and material success and material possessions when we are constantly in the middle of such a gathering even we will be thinking of the same thing right we will also be thinking of comparison and competition when there is an opportunity draw yourself away from such company and bhaja sadhu samagamam try to be in the company of such books such videos or such audio or such people who will reiterate this idea of what is it that life is meant to be what is the purpose of life and what is to be done with life right move away from those people who might draw you into worldly thinking try to be closer to people who will make you think of the real things kuru punya mahoratram do good actions do meritorious deeds day and night this is nothing but keep constantly doing what is your dharma right that is what is going to come from verse number 31 as swami has said that, that is where krishna is going to talk about dharma 
But this verse, which is from 11 to 20 that Krishna has spoken now, or from 12 to 30, which we have covered today, is this part of Smara Nitya Anityatam. Even as you try to avoid bad company, even as you try to be in the company of good, even as you constantly do what is your duty and keep constantly doing meritorious deeds, keep taking time out every now and then and give yourself this mananam, this process of mananam where you think what is real and what is unreal, what is sat, what is asat, what is nityam, what is anityam. And this process is needed for each one of us because as Krishna said, when we keep rolling this over in our mind, we will find that there is no reason or there is no meaning in getting into worry in that sense. That is why Krishna keeps repeating that knowing all of this, understanding all of this, oh Arjuna, there is no need to worry. So we'll conclude with that, dear listeners. Next week, we'll take up verse number 31 and as many as we are able to fit into that one hour. I most humbly offer this effort at Swami's lotus feet and as always, thank you all for this opportunity that we are able to do this together because I am not speaking here as a scholar of the Gita, I am speaking here as a co-student, a co-pilgrim and do join me again next week. We'll resume this pilgrimage of the Gita series, a Triune Pilgrimage. Happy listening.